Friends, we're so glad that you've joined us here today. My name's Kevin, and I'm one of the pastors here at Friends Church in Orange. And whether you're watching this message online or listening to it in your car or on a run or wherever you are today, it's our hope that the words that are shared, that the message of God that is shared in this message will give you hope, life, and encouragement as you seek to live faithfully for Jesus in the midst of your world. If you'd like to connect with us, you can do so by going to our website. We'd love to meet you. We'd love to connect with you. And we'd love to serve you in any way we can. Good morning. My name's Kyle. I get to be the lead pastor, uh, like they said, of this particular campus of Friends Church. There's a lot of campuses around Orange County, even one out in Eastvale and Riverside. Um, But we're thrilled that you guys are here with us today. How about the mountains? Right? Some of you are like, what mountains? Like, they're right there. It's incredible. Like, they're beautiful. And I believe that uh, before you even got to walk in today, you were already sort of experiencing the awe and the wonder of God. And I love what Kylie was saying earlier, too. Like, we're already getting to sing truth uh, about who God is. I believe that you're already getting a picture of who we are as a family and the way that we walk out our lives together with God and with one another. And so I'm honored that you're here with us today. Uh, We are continuing our Transform series. Um, And how many of you, uh, as we get started today, how many of you would consider yourselves rule followers? Just in general, like, I'm a rule follower. How many of you are like, mm, yeah, not so much? Like, I'm always looking to not follow. Really? You're all rule followers? I am. I've, one of the things I've learned is I'm a really good rule follower as long as I agree with the rules. <laughs> so I don't know if that's you. Some of you, that resonates. And I learned this, uh, and my wife learned this actually when we were newly married. I got to see just this great picture again. Uh, we just gotten married, so it was a little over 25 years ago. And we were going uh, from our place, and my wife, she was getting her master's in social work at the time. She needed to go study at the library that was close by our first place. And so I said, I'll go with you, and I'll just get a library card there. It's a new library for me, so I'll walk in. So she went in, went in the library, went upstairs to study, and I just got in line at the counter downstairs, waited my turn, get up, talked to the sweet, just elderly lady, and I said, hi, I'd love to get a library card. And she said, no problem. She said, here, just fill out this form, and I'm going to need your ID. And I said, great. Filled the form out, turned it to her, and she looks, and all of a sudden, you know, like this face, like, hmm. And I'm like, what seems to be the problem? She's like, well, these addresses don't match. The address on your ID doesn't match the one on the form. I said, oh, I know. I'm, well, I just got married. It's my first time here. You know, that address you can see, it's just a couple blocks away. This address, it's still a good address. Like, that's my parents' address. And she's like, well, I'm going to need, you know, a good address for you. And I go, well, those are both good addresses. Like, you can actually send anything to either one of those, and I promise you it will get to me. And she said, yeah, I'm so sorry, sir, but the address, it has to match. And I'm like, wait a minute. She's like, I can't give you a library card. I'm like, you can't give me a a free library card because I'm giving you two good... She said, I need a good address. I'm like, they're both good addresses. Like, then she's like, so at this point, I start having more energy in in the dialogue, as you can imagine. And I said, well, what what do you need then in order for me to get a library card? She said, well, you could bring in like a bill or, you know, just a letter that got sent to your house just to confirm that that is, in fact, the address on the form. And I said, so I could just bring in a letter that somebody sent me? She said, yeah. And I said, so wait a second. So if I go next door to CVS and buy a bunch of blank envelopes and a big pen, I can write my address on there that will match the one on the form and you would give me a library card. And she said, yes. <laughs> and I said, do you understand how insane this is? Like it doesn't even, like I could, that's all I could do. And at this point I'm like, I can't, this doesn't make any sense. 
About this time, my wife starts walking down the stairs because she can hear me from upstairs. And she's like, hi, what seems to be the problem? And I'm like, I'm giving this lady 200. She won't give me a card. So she apologizes profusely to the lady as she escorts me out of the library into the parking lot. But I'm like, I love rules as long as they make sense. But I'm like, this makes no sense. Don't you see how easy this is? Drives me nuts. But here's the thing. Maybe you're like that. And this is just the library card. I mean, there's so many rules, there's so many laws, there's so many things as we go through life, it's like, that doesn't make sense. And it's confusing to us, and we're not sure what to do with it. And so our voices get kind of raised, and we start to vibrate a little bit and go, what am I supposed to do as we walk through life? What is our role as Christians when we walk out into this world, and sometimes the rules, sometimes the laws, they just don't make sense to us. How do we live in light of that? So I'm so glad you guys are here today. Because that's exactly what we're going to talk about as we walk through this transform series. What does it mean to become the better, the best version of who we were designed to be? And so we're looking at what Paul wrote, right, in Romans. We started a couple weeks ago in Romans 12. Some of you guys last week got a bookmark. Some of you guys didn't. So we put these out for you again. But I want you, this is kind of the anchor verse, right, that we're looking for as we trust God, we trust God's power, we trust God's plan. So let's just read Romans 12, verse 2 out loud together, just to remind ourselves of what we're doing. Don't copy. the be- No, this is the verse we're going to read out loud together. You can read it off the bookmark, or it'll be on the screen too. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. We trust God's Trust God, trust God's power, trust God's plan. So then how then do we live this out in light of the rules and the laws and the authority that God gave us, whether it makes sense to us or not? So I want to invite you guys, grab your Bibles, grab your Bibles, turn back to Romans. We're going to be in Romans 13 today. As you're flipping there, I'll give you a little context like I usually do, right? Here's the deal. We're just going to look at the first five verses in Romans chapter 13. And here's what I'm going to tell you. These five verses are incredibly clear, right, on what God establishes in this world around rules and laws and authority. But these five verses, in the midst of that clarity, it's going to create five million questions for all of you around, yeah, but what about? And what if? And what? I can't believe that. And do you know about? Like, it's just, this is what's going to happen. I promise you. So here's what I want to do. We're not going to try and even attempt to address the five million questions. I'm going to tell you right now what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you clarity around what can we know. Like what is just the absolute foundational core of what the Bible is teaching us in this passage? And then all of those questions that are going to come out of it, that's the work we get to do, right, with Jesus and the Holy Spirit as we work out our salvation, So I don't want you to walk away from your questions. I want you to hold on to them, and then I want you to pursue them. But what we're going to do right now is let God show us very clearly, here's the core, here's the center of what we can know to be true about the role of authority and rules and laws and boundaries in this world. So Romans chapter 13, the first five verses, starting verse one, everyone must submit to governing authorities. Oh, see, we're off to a tough start, aren't we? You're already like, yeah, I don't like this. For all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. 
So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they're going to be punished. For the authorities don't strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Well, then do what's right, and they will honor you. The authorities are God's servants. They're sent for your good. But if you're doing wrong, of course you should be afraid, for they have the power to punish you. They're God's servants sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what's wrong. So you must submit to them, not only to avoid punishment, but to also keep a clear conscience. So what does God want us to understand? What is the clarity he's giving us in these five verses? The first one is the role of government. Right? Very clearly, we see the role of government that God's giving us through Paul as he's writing to the Romans. And there's two pieces to this. The role of government as an institution and the role of government in terms of the officials and the people that God gives us. Look at what he says in verse 1 as an institution. All authority comes from God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. Right? So where does all authority come from? Even government authority comes from? Oh, so you can barely say it, huh? It's just, it's right there. It's not that hard to understand. And here's the thing. The word instituted there, you know what's interesting? The word instituted there actually is the same word in the Old Testament. When God instituted the law, it's the same word. Like that's how, that's how, that's God's view of government. It's the same as his view of the law. It's a product of God's hand as much as the Old Testament law. Kind of hard to fathom, isn't it? But look at what it says. It's not just the institution. It's also the people. Look at verse 1 and verse 4. It says, those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. And then verse 4, the authorities are God's servants sent for your good. They are God's servants. That word servant there is the same word used in the Old Testament for priests and in the New Testament for pastors. So you can see, this is powerful. They are, he's saying there are people placed and gifted in these roles, just like I would be as a pastor of a church. So you can see Paul and the Bible has a very high view that he's painting here of government and authority and officials in terms of the weight and the responsibility that they carry and that they've been given. And here's what you got to understand. Government is God's idea. It's not an accidental afterthought. And so God gives government, both the institution and the officials, the power and authority that they have. So just full pause here for a second. Remember, that's clear. Maybe some of you are government officials. Maybe some of you are people that carry and hold the weight and the responsibility of government, whether it's... it's in, in Congress, maybe it's a mayor or a city council position, maybe it's even the authorities in terms of civil servants like police, right, or firemen or whatever. Here's the deal. Two things. Number one is do you see the weight and the responsibility that you hold and that you've been given and gifted this by God? And the second thing that we see then is when was the last time that all the rest of us really prayed for these people. Knowing that these, this is both the institution and the people that have been given by God. Do you see why now over and over in his word, he say, you gotta pray for your leaders. You gotta pray for the kings. You've gotta pray for the people in charge. 
And that's what he's inviting us to do so that they might understand the weight that they carry and that we might be able to help them and support them as they walk through it. So I feel like before we go any further, we should pray. So if you would, just close your eyes. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the clarity that you give us in terms of your power and your authority and how you give that to men and women. We thank you for the people in this room that you've called, that you've gifted to carry that weight and that authority. We pray even for some of them, maybe this is the first time they're recognizing that or feeling that or where it comes from. So we thank you for that. And God, we, as your people then, we just wanna pray for them. We pray that you would protect them. We pray that you would guide them. We pray that you would lead them. And we pray that you would help them, God, to listen to you, the one who gives them the authority that they hold and steward and walk in. And we pray this in the power of your name. Amen. So very clearly, God gives us the role of government through Paul. The second thing he gives us then is the role of the people, right? And this is where we started. He starts and ends, verse 1 and verse 5, the same way. Everyone must submit to governing authorities, so you must... Oh, see, you can't even say it. So you must? That's right, to them. And the word submit there, of course, means exactly what you think it means. You want it to mean something else. We all want it to mean something else, but it doesn't. It means to come under the authority of, right? It's to obey the laws. It's to be a good citizen, whether you agree with them or not, whether it's who you elected or not. It's to come under the authority of the government and the officials that God has placed and to follow the rules. And it's interesting, right after this, verse six and seven, it almost feels like Paul gets super specific all of a sudden. You can read ahead in your Bible if you've got it, because he says, pay your taxes, right? So he has all this stuff. He's, here's the role of government. Here's the role of the people. And then he goes into this thing, so pay your taxes. And it's like, why is that there? Well, it's interesting. Two things. Number one is tax season. Maybe Paul knew we'd be teaching this, right, in February. It's like, pay your taxes. More importantly, when he was writing to the church in Rome in, in this time, in the first century, they actually were arguing even then about a tax increase that was taking place. And so the church was getting bogged down in this whole conversation around politics and taxes. And so he's just like, wait, wait, wait. Here's the role of government. Here's the role of the people. Pay your taxes. Stop arguing about that. So just do what they're asking you to do. Don't get all bent out of shape about that. So anyway, it's fascinating to me. That's what he says. Don't make a fuss, right? Don't go all library card on people, right? It's like, she needs an ID. Give her an ID. She needs an envelope. Just get an envelope, Kyle. You know what I mean? Like, follow the rules. It's a library card. And so he gives this clear picture of government and the officials and our relationship then to this authority. So the question then, one of the questions that we should be asking, of course, is, well, why? Why did God set it up this way? Why is it established this way? And you can see that there's kind of all these verses, right, kind of packed in the middle where you get a sense of the importance in this structure. And it says this, I just kind of summarized it, the authorities don't strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. So if you want to live without fear of the authorities, well, then do what's right, and they'll honor you. But if you're doing wrong, of course you should be afraid, for they have the power to punish you. So you must submit to them, not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. He says, you gotta have role clarity so that there can be order. 
right? He said, you got to have role clarity so that there can be order. And that's what he's talking about. There's got to be a sense of order because God loves this world. God wants this world and everyone in it, all of us to thrive, and it cannot thrive without a sense of order. And so he gives government and officials and gives us a very clear role in response to that to have a sense of order, to keep peace, so that we would be able to live lives, what? Not just obeying the law so that we can get punished, but that we'd even have a clear conscience, that we'd be able to walk through life knowing who we are. I mean, imagine a world for a second with no law and order. Imagine just no lines on streets, no stop signs, no street lights, no bike lanes, no whatever. I just imagine a world for a second with zero laws. And zero, there would be total anarchy and chaos, right? So I, I understand that that's what he's saying. And this is a theme that's woven all through the Bible. So why he paints it really clear in these five verses, Paul paints it in other ways to other people. There's one of his disciples, a guy named Titus, right, that he's writing to, another letter. And he says this in Titus chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. He says, make sure you remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever's good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to always be gentle to everyone. So this is woven all through, not just Paul's letters, but guys like Peter, another one of the disciples, lots of energy Peter had. He writes this in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, for the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority. And it's like probably in your mind right now, you're going, wait a second. Isn't Peter the guy in Acts chapter five that when he goes before people and they're saying, hey, you guys, you gotta stop preaching the name of Jesus. And he basically really kindly goes, I can't do that. This is the same Peter, right? He's saying, wait, you gotta submit to all human authority. So which is it, Peter? I don't know about you, but ah, that's what's going on to me. Whether the king is head of state or officials he's appointed for the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong, honor those who do right. This is everywhere in God's word. Structure, authority, government, officials, people, and our role is to be subject to them. So we have this really clear picture of government and a really clear picture of the role we're supposed to play. Everyone can acknowledge this. All of them, imagine, surrendered to the authority that God's given. And it sounds so nice and it sounds so clear, but then all of us, like I said, have five million questions, including the one I just put on the table. Which is it? How do we know when to draw the lines? What about governments that are oppressive and persecute? What about dictatorships? What about the evil that's been done all through history? What about that? I know there's a million questions. And I told you that's what's gonna happen. And I'm okay with that because I wanna stay centered on what do we know. Here's what we know. The only authority that exists in government is the authority that's been given to it by God. And God has ordained government and authority. Same with the officials he calls into that. And he calls us to submit. The problem is when it doesn't work that way, we have no idea how to respond and we want to take control and we want to go library card on people. Because we want to make the rules. And when the rules don't work out the way we want them to, we just start vibrating and we don't know how to respond. And I, get, I mean, I get this. It wasn't just a, a library card for me. For me, I remember when I was a kid, we used to play games. I had a sister and some cousins and whatever, and we'd play games together. And every now and then, anybody ever play Monopoly? 
right? So you get old enough to understand Monopoly or life, or you start playing. Monopoly takes forever, right? But it's great because it's like all of a sudden you start going around the board and pretty soon just stacks of cash start piling up. And it's like, I own property and hotels. I'm crushing it. It's capitalism at its best. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> teaching like eight-year-olds. Go take over the world. So it's great. So you're playing that. And then all of a sudden in Monopoly, there's like a tipping point. And it just starts tipping to somebody. And all of a sudden, they own enough that you just can't avoid it. And pretty soon, the stacks of cash pile up. And sometimes, when it worked for me, I thought it was fantastic. (laughs) But what would happen is sometimes this tipping point would come in my sister. All of a sudden, her stacks of cash started growing, and mine started shrinking. And all of a sudden, I'd start coming around, and she'd have boardwalk and park place and just start raking in the cash and everything, and I'm getting stuck in jail and handing it over. And I just see the world slipping, all the control going right out of my hands. So you know what I would do? I did what every good 10-year-old did. I flipped the board over. Just all the pieces, all the cash, all the cards, everything, just boom, I'm done with this game, right? And isn't that what we want to do in life? Like when things don't go our way, when we don't like the rules, when we don't like the laws, when we don't, we just want to flip the board over. It's like this isn't the way it's supposed to be, and I'm going to show up. Like that's what we do. And that's where we see our response to this even gets played out. It's not a surprise. It's the role of sin that's embedded and corrupts every single one of us. You see, if you go back to the very beginning, right, in Genesis, we remember God created everything. We got a glimpse of it this morning with the mountains and the blue sky, just the clear air. And you can imagine that's everything that existed in the world and only what existed in the world at that time. Just beauty and creativity and order and authority and justice and all of these things. Everybody knew their role and it all worked together what? In perfect harmony, this world, this word called shalom, peace. Until what? We flip the board over. Because Satan comes in and he says, you know, you could be like God. You know, you could actually take control of your life. You know, you could actually be the final authority. You might even do a better job than God. And he starts whispering, and all of a sudden it introduces this word called sin which just means we miss the mark. And all of a sudden, all of this evil just comes rushing into the world. And from there on out, now thousands of years and generations, we see this evil that's just corrupted people. And here's where we see the introduction of rebellion. We see the introduction of racism. We see the introduction of murder. We see the introduction of killing and murdering babies and sacrifice. We see the introduction of all of these things. And so we see We just want to turn the tables upside down. That's our default as human beings. We just want to take control, but then we can't do it and we can't make it and we should turn it upside down. So what do we do? We've got this role of government God's given to to reestablish at least some order and some sense of peace, our part in submission to that, but yet there's this role that sin plays in our life. What do we do? It's, It's the invitation to acknowledging and surrendering to the rule of Jesus. And that's everything Jesus lived his life for. It's what he gave his life to. For those of you familiar, as Jesus is walking through his life and it's his ministry, it was startling to the people then, and probably even to us somewhat today, he didn't establish a political party. He didn't establish 
some sort of business or company that just dominated the landscape of the world. He never tried to occupy the office that even Caesar or Pilate or anybody held. When people would bring him coins and say, yeah, but what about Caesar? Are you challenging him? And he's like, Caesar? Give to Caesar what Caesar's. There's a way bigger game I'm playing here. And so he would live out this life where there was a kingdom and an authority in place that was bigger than anything they were trying to grab a hold of in the world. And that's the rule of Jesus. And we see him not just putting this on display in the interactions he had with people, we also see him literally speak it out. When he's standing before Pilate, the Roman judge who could sentence him to death and crucifixion, he asked Jesus, who are, and Jesus literally acknowledged, yes, I'm the son of God. I'm the king. All the authority exists in with me. And Pilate says to him, he says, don't you realize, don't you know who I am? I have the power, I have the authority to free you or to put you to death. And you can imagine Jesus just kind of smiles and he goes, any authority you have has been given to you. There's a higher authority in play here. We see it, right? As he goes to the cross, surrenders, but then the authority to overcome and conquer death, to rise again, And before he goes back to heaven, when he's having that conversation with his disciples that he would say to us today, one of the things he says is, remember, all authority has been given to me. I'm the ultimate and final authority. And so now go and do what? Don't go establish political parties. Don't go fight those battles. Don't get lost in the mire. Give to Caesar what Caesar's, whatever. I want you to go and do it. Go make disciples. Go do what I did. That's what you should be doing. That's the most important thing. That's the example we're trying to follow. It's the truth that we sang about early today, the rule of Jesus that exists above everything in this world and the rule of Jesus that we even get to decide if we want to claim for our own life or not. That's the invitation that he gives. So how do we live in this tension in a world where so often we want to flip the board upside down and scatter the pieces everywhere and yet Trust God's power and God's plan through the rule of Jesus. If only we had an example. If only we had a way. Oh my gosh. If you flip back to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, this, he's recording the, the final dinner the final conversation that Jesus is having with the disciples before he goes to the cross. And you can imagine these then would be some of, if not the most important words that he wants them to hold on to. And this is what he says to them. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. See, if we're going to acknowledge the rule of Jesus, both in the world and in our own lives, we have to acknowledge the role that love plays as it leads the way in all of this. You see, Jesus, before this, had already affirmed the value of love as the anchoring characteristic. When, when he was challenged to sum, like summarize the entire law, Jesus, tell us everything as you understand it. What's the most important thing? You know what he says? Yeah, of course you do. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind and all of your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. 
Those two things are inseparable. Love God and love your neighbor. He said, this is the most important thing in the kingdom. This is the most important thing as we walk through this world together, is love. And so then he's calling his disciples together, and after he affirms that, he, he says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And it's interesting, oftentimes when I read that, as I've loved you, the first place my mind tends to go is the cross. But remember, he hadn't gone to the cross yet. So when he's saying to them, as I've loved you, they didn't have that as a reference point. So what was their reference point for as I've loved? The first thing, I think it's a couple things. The first thing that probably happened is, I think their own personal stories came into play. I bet Jesus might have paused even there and said, as I've loved you, Matthew, as I've loved you, you remember how I loved you, how I saw you, when you were alone, ostracized by your own people and the Romans, isolated, fearful, a thief, cheating people. Remember how I saw, remember how I loved you? Remember how I invited you to follow me? And remember how I had dinner at your house and I would hang out with your friends? Remember that kind of love, Matthew? And they'd probably, Andrew, remember how I loved you, Andrew? James, remember how I loved you guys? When you were out there fishing for your way of life because you'd flunked out of school? You weren't a good enough student, took up the family business, wondering what you were going to do the rest of your life. Remember how I saw you and it said, follow me? And then he'd probably turn and look and he goes, Peter, remember how I loved you? Simon? Remember when your name was Simon? Remember how I said, no, you're Peter, you're a rock. I'm going to build my church on you. Remember how I believed more about every single one of you than you could ever believe for yourself? You see, I think that is their context for as I loved you. It's personal. But it's not just that. The other context is, he literally had just given a group demonstration of what love is. And some of you remember the story. They were just settling in for dinner. And the first thing Jesus does again is what? Affirm his authority. And he says, you call me rabbi, you call me teacher, and you call me Lord, the King of Kings, the Messiah, and you're right. <laughs> he just says that's true. All authority is in me. And so then he says, so I'm gonna give you an example to follow. And he gets up from the table, and he undresses, and he puts a towel around his waist, he grabs a basin of water and he goes around to each one of them, right? Washing their feet. And you can imagine, they're like, no, what are you doing? This is the king. This is King Jesus. You have all the authority. You have all the position. You have all the power, all the influence. And this is what you're doing? And see, that's what he's saying is, as I have loved you, as I just demonstrated for you, this, this, by this is how everyone's gonna know that I have the authority is by your love that's sacrificial, that doesn't have to turn the board over, where love leads the way in every conversation and every interaction. And so you live it out the way Jesus did. The rule of Jesus is the role of love in our life. 
And so you're thinking, well, what about government authorities? And what about laws that push it too far? And what about things we disagree with? And Jesus would say, yes, you absolutely should fight for the biblical mandates and values that he held tightly to. But make sure they're all wrapped in love. And make sure love leads the way. So the freedom to worship, to follow Jesus, to teach Jesus' his name, make sure that's wrapped in love. The value that God places on life, that every single human being is created in his image and has value, yeah, make sure that's wrapped in love and leads the way. For equality and for justice and to free people that feel oppressed, yes, and make sure that all of that is wrapped and characterized by love and that that leads the way. That's what Jesus would say. That's the model that he gave. The rule of Jesus as the ultimate authority is characterized by the role of love. So remember that library card? Remember my wife escorting me out of the library? She escorted me across the parking lot to a grocery store. And we walked into that grocery store and she said, you're gonna buy flowers and a card and you're gonna go back in there and you're gonna give that lady flowers and you are gonna write her a card and say you're sorry. And what ensued was a, a relatively lengthy conversation about whether that was actually gonna take place or not. <laughs> but ultimately, who do you think won? Who always wins? Because she's always right. So I... Walked back into the library, flowers and a card, embarrassed and humbled, waited my turn in line, got to the front, and I just said, I'm so sorry. And the sweet lady said, oh, I forgive you, it's okay. She was overcome with emotion. Because my wife knew, and I knew, that the rule of Jesus in my life demanded that love leads the way. And the same thing is true for you. So if you would, just close your eyes. Bow your heads. Just reflect for a moment on what God is saying to you today. I think the first question the first question that Paul would ask is who is the ruling authority in your life? Is it Jesus? Have you acknowledged that Jesus is the ruling authority, not just of this world, but invited him to be the ruling authority in your life? Maybe for some of you, that's a new thought. And in a moment, I'm going to pray. And if you're the person that, that has never made but would love to make Jesus the ruling authority of your life, would you just raise your hand wherever you're at just so I can pray for you? Pray over you. Yeah. Anyone else? Just want to make Jesus... King Jesus, the ruler of your life. 
Maybe for some of you, Jesus is the ruling authority. But you know that there's places in your life where you haven't let love lead the way. Maybe for some of you, it, it is in the nature of politics, government. Maybe for some of you, it's in the context of your marriage. Or you've been fighting for right, flipping the board over when you don't get your way. Maybe for some of you, you haven't let love lead the way in a friendship with a boss or a professor, teammate or a classmate. If that's you, if you just know that there's a place, a relationship in your life where you need to let love lead, if you would just raise your hand where you're at so I can pray over you. So Father, thank you. (laughs) Thank you that you are the ultimate authority. Thank you that you can be trusted, that we can rely and depend on you. Thank you for your grace and your kindness that leads us to moments like this, moments of confession and repentance and acknowledging there are places in our lives, God, where we've allowed other things to rule and we haven't allowed love to lead And so I pray that you would come and just speak to every single person, God, that lifted their hand today, that your spirit would fill them, give them freedom, give them joy, help them feel new, the new creation that you promise. God, that your spirit would fill them to the fullest and help all of us, God, to listen for you and to be people that allow your rule to reign in our life by being known for the way that we love. We pray this in the power of your name, amen.